Hello and welcome to this podcast edition of Scripps, Five Must Know Things, this time for the Business Week ended 27th November 2020. This is Ian Haydock. On the menu this week are more high-profile results and progress with coronavirus vaccines, big pharma R&D updates amid the pandemic, and developments in the heart failure sector. The announcement by the University of Oxford and AstraZeneca on 23rd November of positive interim phase 3 efficacy results of 70% for their coronavirus vaccine added to the good news coming from mRNA-based frontrunners Pfizer, BioNTech and Moderna. The chimp adenovirus-based AZD1222 failed to match the 90% plus performance of the two mRNA-based candidates from those companies apart from in a small cohort of patients who received a half-dose prime dose rather than a full dose. Over the course of the day, the curious truth about this half-dose arm emerged. It had never actually been planned, but it was in fact the result of an error. Andrew McConaughey writes that checks uncovered the fact that the dose had been underestimated by half. But instead of abandoning these results, the partners decided to press ahead with the half-dose, full-dose schedule over the two injections in parallel with the planned full dosing. That this slip-up though has raised some serious questions for the partners, most immediately generating complaints from the research community about a lack of transparency around the trial protocol alongside a lack of details on safety and efficacy results. The protocol change also creates a headache for AstraZeneca in that it's not yet mirrored in the separate phase 3 trial it's conducting in the US under Operation Warp Speed. This raises additional questions about whether the US FDA will accept these initial data where the unplanned dose variation is problematic. Another issue is the fact that these are non-US trials conducted in the UK and Brazil, which the FDA regulator rarely accepts without US data. Potentially transformative treatments for severe asthma, COPD and osteoarthritis are among some of the below-the-radar projects Novartis is advancing, according to CEO Vas Narasimhan. He feels the firm's pipeline is underappreciated by the markets and has highlighted earlier high-risk, high-reward projects to the investment community. At a virtual Meet Novartis management event, Kevin Grogan writes that Narasimhan decided to dedicate a slice of his presentation to five wild cards These are projects that we don't typically go through, he said, but putting them in the spotlight served to show the depth and breadth of the pipeline. One is CSJ117, which targets thymic stromal lymphopoietin and is in phase 2b for severe uncontrolled asthma. Currently approved treatments for severe asthma are limited to high eosinophilic disease that requires phenotyping such as AstraZeneca and GSK's respective interleukin-5 inhibitors for Senra and Nucala, as well as Sanofi's IL-4 and IL-13 receptor antagonist Dupixent. However, Narasimhan said that there was considerable potential for an inhaled biologic such as CSJ117, which if all goes well could transform the severe asthma space. Another wild card he highlighted was ECF834, a recombinant human lubricin in license from Lubris in 2017 for dry eye. Now, Simhan noted that the drug has been shown to provide relief of symptoms and improvement in signs of dry eye, and phase 2b data are expected to read out in the second half of 2021. 
The second half of next year should also see Phase 2B data on QBW251, Novartis's CFTR potentiator for chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Business as usual has been difficult due to COVID-19, but Sanofi has overcome pandemic roadblocks to keep its close to 400 clinical trials on track and integrate new employees following closing of two acquisitions. John Reed, who's global head of R&D at the firm, noted at the STAT Summit on 19th November. Brenda Sandberg reports Reed said the company was able to keep 95% of patients on study by doing direct shipping of investigational product arranging for at-home infusions of IV drugs, conducting telemedicine assessments, and remotely monitoring sites and doing data locks. In addition, he said the company benefited from the ability to utilize its drug supply chain management in-house. Many companies have outsourced that, but there too, the teams really stepped up. Our CMC team stayed in the lab, did what they needed to in terms of social distancing, etc with masks and on-site testing for COVID-suspected infections so that we could do monitoring of close contacts, Reid stated. Since the lockdown, he said Sanofi has enrolled over 6,000 new patients and started 59 studies, and it now has 30,000 patients on study. The company has also closed two acquisitions this year, and Reid acknowledged that the integration has been a challenge. This acquisition of Synthorx, a synthetic biology company based in San Diego, closed in January. That one got off to a good start because we really had the opportunity to have face-to-face meetings with colleagues and town halls, Reid said. In September then, Sanofi closed on its acquisition of Principia Biopharma. We've had to do that entirely remotely and I have to say it's not the ideal way to do things, Reid added. The company also recently announced its intention to acquire Amsterdam-based Kiadis Pharma and is now planning for the integration of that company, doing everything remotely. After reviewing initial data from the Phase 3 Galactic HF clinical trial of Omicamtiv Macabil in heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, Amgen determined that the results were not compelling enough to move forward with regulatory filings and commercialization of the cardiac myosin activator. It revealed on 23rd November that it will give its rights to the drug back to cytokinetics. Cytokinetics believes that it can carve out a commercial niche for omicamtiv in HFREF patients with lower left ventricular ejection fraction, and its executives told the same day in vesicle that it's evaluating a path forward. Amgen also relinquished its rights to AMG594, a phase one cardiac troponin activator, but cytokinetics will not focus on moving the candidate for HFREF and other types of heart failure into phase two until the road to approval and commercialization of omicamtiv is clearer. Termination of the company's agreement, which dates back to December 2006, will become effective on 20th May next year, and Amgen will retain no royalty rights or other financial connection to Omicantive or AMG 594. Servier retains its rights to develop and commercialise Omicantive in Europe. Mandidaxon reports that in October top-line results from the 8,256 patient Galactic HF trial were announced, showing Omicantive provided a statistically significant improvement versus placebo on top of standard of care therapies in terms of the primary composite endpoint. 
but the drug did not significantly reduce cardiovascular deaths compared with placebo, key secondary endpoint for prescribers. In fact, Omicantiv missed all of the secondary endpoints in Galactic HF, and when more detailed results were reported at the American Heart Association annual meeting on 13th November, the data showed that there were more deaths from cardiovascular causes in the Omicantiv arm of the study than in the placebo group. Also, the reduction in risk on the primary endpoint was just 8%, which some analysts said would not be competitive with established heart failure drugs. But cytokinetics pointed to a greater effect in patients with LVEF of 28% or less and continues to see a path forward for the drug in this population. In the remarkable sprint to develop a coronavirus vaccine, all the company chiefs involved have agreed that the race is against the virus, not against each other. But that message is now shifting perceptibly. That's especially the case with Moderna, for whom mRNA-1273 will be its commercial debut and a potential foundation for its pipeline of mRNA-enabled vaccines and therapeutics. Pfizer's CEO Albert Baller tweeted his congratulations when Moderna unveiled its data, but both companies are nevertheless intent on making a profit from the vaccines, albeit relatively modest ones, in recognition of the global public health crisis. Pfizer is pricing its vaccine at $19.50 per injection or $39 for a two-dose immunisation, while Moderna's price is $25 per dose or $50 for the two-dose regimen for large volume deals. Andrew McConaughey writes that that makes Moderna the most expensive of any of the leading candidates, a premium which the company has to justify if it's to maximise its share of the vaccine market in 2021 and beyond. This market could be worth anywhere between $10 billion and $25 billion in 2021, according to analysts. Speaking on 18th November at the Jefferies Virtual Conference, Moderna's CEO Stefan Bansell said he believed its vaccine would eventually prove to be superior to Pfizer on several fronts. First of all, he predicted Moderna's vaccine would most likely have a superior efficacy profile in elderly patients, even though Pfizer unveiled data on 18th November which showed a very high 94% efficacy rate in the over 65s, included in its final interim analysis. He also said Moderna's product could produce a demonstrable difference in the number of patients developing severe disease. While Pfizer-BioNTech's vaccine is a very strong contender, its one weak point is the need for minus 70 degrees Celsius when it is in long-term storage. Moderna's vaccine, by contrast, can be stored at the standard refrigeration level of minus 20 C, which Bansell said makes a mass immunisation programme led by community pharmacies in every country easier to roll out. Pfizer's vaccine also requires dilution on-site before administration, while Moderna's does not. That's all for this week. Thanks very much for listening. Don't forget to sign up, sign in and set up to receive all these stories in full and much more digital content. Links to the stories discussed today are given in the article accompanying this podcast, and all of our podcasts are also available via Smart Speaker. Just set up SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google or TuneIn as your default podcast provider and ask for Pharma Intelligence. Bye for now.